Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune back with another live stream on this. Uh, what day is it today? Uh, Wednesday morning. Um, so uh, before I get to you know the main topic of this video, talking about silver demand, gold demand, of course, you guys know that when it comes to my live streams, there's not really a main topic. I'll, I'll title it with something, but but it certainly can go in all sorts of different directions. So a lot of that is you know guided by all of you and and uh, i guess what you want you know questions comments etc so please leave those in the uh chat if you're if you want to participate in this uh, and of course you know thank you to 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 those of you guys that are tuning in today um so uh i guess you know quick update of course many of you guys saw maybe over on my channel uh kind of big news in my own life uh my wife and i uh, welcomed our our second daughter into the world um, last Thursday, so it's a big deal. Uh, and and uh, hello, Mellow Stacker. I think he had actually accompanied. I think Mellow Stacker might have been one of the first people to comment on that um, on that actual post uh, over on my community tab. But if you do want to see a picture of her, she's over there. Maybe I'll show it at some time in this live stream. At some point in this live stream today, uh, we got twelve viewers so far. Let's see here. Um, we'll start off with an article that is not based on the main topic of this video. Uh, again, while you guys trickle in, uh, White House warns, this is from Zero Hedge, White House warns of zero quarter one growth due to shutdown, but humongous quarter two. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So basically what they're saying, what they're saying is because of this shutdown, this is something I've talked about recently, because of this shutdown, um, that and, and this is coming from let's see white house council of economic advisors chair kevin hassett because of this shutdown because of the disruption of the economy because of the what eight hundred thousand workers that are not getting paid right now uh, even though some of them continue to work because of that decrease in consumption because of uh, all these different factors uh quarter one growth could be something like zero but they're expecting something like humongous growth in quarter two of, of 2019. Now, this is kind of interesting because it, it seems like quarter one is always that one quarter that they, they find some reason as to why it's low, right? If you guys remember in the past, I think it's usually been quarter one that they that the Fed will come out and say, well, you know, it is weak, but it's because of the weather. It's because of reasons A, B, and C. But, you know, this very well could be, you, you know, we guys, we, we tend to be a bit conspiracy uh, uh, oriented. Uh, but, uh, you know, is this a, a way to kind of delay um, bad news? You know, if, if you uh, can already frame quarter one GDP results, which are you know, what, three months away still, three plus months away, I think. If you can already frame that as being actually just an anomaly, right? Then you've delayed any bad news about the economy as a whole by an additional three months. Um, and, and, you know, when, it, when the time comes, quarter two, I mean, that gives you an extra three months to talk about why quarter two could be lower. You know, there's there, this is why, I mean, I was watching, uh, let me just think now, was this Lynette Zhang, I think yesterday uh, over in ITM Trading, along with, uh, I think, the, the president or the CEO, I forget his name, of ITM Trading. They do Q&A sessions. And, and I think it was them. They're talking about, you know, potentially things like this shutdown or the trade war or those types of almost manufactured type. And not, not to say that, you know, the 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 uh, the fight for for fairer trade or whatever with with China or or 
uh, a wall on the border or immigration reform or whatever it is. Not to say that those things don't have merit, but they're manufactured, they're avoidable, right? Um, and yet, if you can, can stack up a couple things like that, um, you can use that as sort of a, a, I guess, an excuse or a reason as to why the economy um, is is lagging, right, and during a period of time. Or you can even use it as as an excuse as to why the economy ultimately uh, crashes, why we slip into a recession, right? It wasn't because the Fed was tightening too quickly, although that's certainly something that Trump and, and many others have been talking about extensively. But it wasn't primarily because of that. It wasn't because our economy is based on debt, based on ever-growing amounts of debt, and that's just not sustainable. It's not because the, the same is true for China or the rest of, of the developed world. No, it's not that. It's because of this trade war. It's because of this government shutdown. Um, it's all how you frame it. It's all about the the narrative. And yet we, we know that you know we, we very well could be slipped into a recession in 2019 if, even if this trade war business was figured out, even if this shutdown never even happened. And so it's all, you know, it's all about framing it. And so I think that's something really important to, to keep in mind that how they frame this next recession, this next stock market crash, whatever it amounts to, uh, you, you have to keep your mind open. You, you can't, you know, buy into the, the mainstream narrative, even if it seems very, you know, plausible. Like, don't get me wrong, this, this trade war, it's having a tangible effect on the, the Chinese in the U.S. economy, along with other economies that are involved, you know, Australia, Canada, Europe, Mexico, et cetera. You know, all these countries, uh, regions that have kind of been roped in by, by the U.S. or by China. Sure, that's a tangible uh, uh, effect on the economy. Same thing goes for this government shutdown, tangible effect. I mean, 800,000 workers, I think it is. Um, somebody can, can correct me on that. That has a tangible effect on uh, demand, on consumption, on are they able to to make their mortgage payment, the car payment? Are they able to, et cetera, et cetera? And and so that has you know an effect on on the economy, sure. But again, it goes back to could we be slipped into a recession into 2019, regardless of the government shutdown, regardless of China? And the answer is yes. Now those things could exacerbate the issues. Sure, they could act as a somewhat of a catalyst, um, but but. It, it's like if you, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, you know, if you had, if you were keeping like a large amount of, of explosives, you know, in, in your house, or let's say, you know, on, on a base, okay, like on an army base, okay, you have a large amount of explosives, and they're not being stored correctly. They're not in their correct containers, they're not protected or anything like that. They're just sitting out in the open, okay? Um, vulnerable to, to things like sparks, right, or lightning strikes, or any sort of of, of thing that could, you know, or even just movement, right? Let's say these are just old fashioned explosives that, that are sensitive to too much movement or something like that. Okay. Friction, et cetera. And, you know, there, there, there's people that are in charge of storing these explosives. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to say, well, it wasn't our fault that somebody lit a cigarette too, too close to the explosives and, and, and blew up, you know, that, that portion of the base. It isn't our fault that, um, somebody accidentally ran into to one of these barrels and and it sent off this chain reaction it wasn't our fault but at the end of the day you know they they were the ones that didn't do it safely they were the ones that created the conditions for that and so at the end of the day when it comes to this next economic downturn it's not going to be the shutdown it's not going to be this trade war that those can just act as a small catalyst for for this 
uh, you know, uh, a box of, of TNT that is, is our economy, is a world economy that's, you know, saturated in debt, world economy that is based on this idea that growth is non-negotiable, that it has to happen. I mean, look at China. China recently, they, they released their, their latest GDP numbers. And it was, I think, it was above 6%. It was like 6.4% or something like that. And yet, it was their lowest GDP number since 1990. People are concerned about that, and rightfully so. And, and of course, you know, we, we have to also talk about how accurate is their GDP numbers uh, concerning how much they, they, they uh, I guess, manipulate those numbers. Uh, but uh, you got to ask, um, is is 6.4% sustainable? 6%, 5.5% sustainable for something like the Chinese economy uh, long term? No, eventually it's, you know, even if, you know, over the next 20, 30 years, that would be sustainable, which I don't think it is. But even if it was along the way, you're going to have recessions, you're going to have unevenness, you're going to have years that are 1% or 2% or negative 2%, you know. Um, and yet, you know, we, we have this notion that growth is non-negotiable, that it has to happen. And it has to happen at all costs. That's not sustainable. So let's go to the chat here real quick, before we get to, to the main topic here. Uh, we'll plot a peak. Good morning, Matt. Congrats to Matt and the family. Ozzy Alchemist, similar thing. Yep. Thank you guys. Uh, it's, it's been nice, you know, just, uh, I guess relaxing with, with the, the new one and, and my other daughter. And I mean, not, not a whole lot going on. Um, she just sleeps all day. It seems like, which, you know, I don't, I didn't remember that with my first one, just how much, uh, they sleep as a newborn, but, um, but it's been, it's been great. And, uh, um, it, it, it's nice to share that all with you guys. Cause I know a lot of my viewers, uh, you know, genuinely care about that type of stuff and care about me and, and support me. So thank you guys. Uh, let's see here, Bob, the monk, um, he says currently governments are printing fiat currency into oblivion. You can't quantitative easing all the time and hope everything will be okay. How much debt will be required? I mean, that's really the thing. I mean, how much debt will be required? It's, it's at some point, not a function of debt. It's, it's what is inflation and, and how much inflation is acceptable by, by the fed, by the government, by the population. And, and, and if you can manipulate those numbers or if you can manipulate individuals minds to thinking that, yeah, a little more inflation is healthy or something like that, right? Inflation period, 2% is healthy. Then that goes a long ways towards, towards, I guess, achieving that goal of creating more debt. But, you know, there, there's, there's the, the um, idea of the Minsky moment as well. Are you guys familiar? It's, it's, uh, it's an idea that basically when, when you, when you use debt to, to create economic growth at, at first, it, it comes easily you can create a ton of debt and, and use that to create a ton of economic growth. But over time, what you notice is a diminishing return on that creation of debt. That over time, as you create more and more debt, it's going to lead to less and less economic growth because of the, the, the effect of, of higher and higher debt levels on the economy, right? If, if, if we're talking debt to GDP, at, at whether it's a consumer, the corporate, the, the sovereign level, if it you know, starts at 10%, that's not a huge deal. But as it moves up to 50, 80, 100%, that's going to weigh on the economy. And so more and more debt growth is not going to lead to more and more economic growth. And eventually you hit what's called the Minsky moment where more debt creation actually leads to less growth. And this is something that that is, is very pertinent to what's going on right now in the world. Uh, it's very pertinent to what's going on in China. This is something that that it was a, it was a key figure, I think, at People's Bank of China or... or, or um, 
in, in, in the higher level levels of government talking about this this very topic. This they actually I think they use the word Minsky moment, right? China could have their Minsky moments when they're talking about themselves here. Um, and, and that's a big part, I think, of of why China has made some efforts to deleverage. Like, don't get me wrong, they're, they're still intervening, they're still injecting liquidity into their economy, et cetera. If, if you watch the headlines, you can see that all, all over the place. But they're not injecting the same stimulus, same level that they have in the past. They're not pulling out all the stops to 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 stop things from falling. Um, and and I think that's part of their, I mean, this goes, this goes back a long ways. This isn't surprising what China is doing, what they're allowing to happen in their economy. If you go back a, a couple of years, uh, talking about this Minsky moment, talking about attempting a, a soft landing for their economy, how, how can we deleverage to some extent? How can we lower expectations of things like the economic growth, wage growth, um, the, the ascension of, of the lower class to the middle class? How can we lower those expectations without a full-blown crash or revolution or whatever it is in, in, in a place like China? Uh, what they're doing right now is is a is, is an attempt at a soft landing. Now, I don't think it's going to work for them. I don't because you both socially and, and economically, I don't think it is. Um, but but thus far, they've been you know somewhat successful with a small deleveraging. And by deleveraging, I don't mean debt destruction. I just mean, uh, in the case of them, a, I think a slower debt creation. I think that would be what you'd notice in the numbers is a slower gr- rate of debt creation or or or, you know, that type of expansion. So that's kind of what's going on with, with China right now. Let's see here. Uh, Mellow Stacker, it's borrowed time for us to be able to prepare and stack. Absolutely. I, I, would, I do want to talk about that later on here. Um, uh, Chris uh, Skiponsky, I'm probably butchering that name. It's tough when, when there's like four consonants in a row in a name, and I just don't. <laughs> but he says, did you hear about premiums rising on silver due to empire metals bankruptcy no i i didn't so maybe you could fill us in more in the chat on that and i'll uh i can do some research on that uh let's see here bob the monk says mellow i'm blessed and humbled to have silver at spot so low i'm stacking and not stopping at least until it reaches 25 ozzy alchemist agrees let's see here laplata peak says my bonus stock from last year's vests in three weeks just praying for sub $16 can hold out for that time. Sorry, guys, I'm selfish. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. Um, lower prices are nice, especially when you know that that silver is kind of a, a sure thing. It's not a sure thing, but you guys know I'm talking about that. That the downside risk is limited. The upside potential is, is pretty high. Uh, even if it just keeps pace with, with inflation, um, these low prices are, are, are great for stacking, in my opinion. Uh, let's see. Should we stack some STCE golf says, should we stack some gold as well? What's your personal silver to gold holdings? I'm at 400 to one, but I feel like I need more gold. You know, I don't actually have any gold because now, now I would love to add some gold. I would love to trade silver for gold, you know, and, and maybe there's a time to trade a lot of it for gold. It's just that in the time that I've been, been stacking, been owning silver and gold, you know, the gold to silver ratio has always been what I would consider high. And so I just can't stomach, you know, buying gold now if I know that that ratio is, again, going back to, to upside versus downside, the, the risk of the gold to silver ratio rising more, it exists, sure. But I think that the, the downside potential for, for, it to rise, for it to move down from, from where it is right now, like 83 to 1, 84 to 1, down to, you know, 70 to 1, or even further than that is, is much higher. And so um, 
but 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 do I think both are important? Yes. And and I think you know if I had a larger amount of money to invest on a monthly basis or something, then yeah, I'd be buying gold still. But but right now, I think silver just makes more sense for me, um, and, and I'm fine with that. I, I I'm fine with putting it into silver and 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 knowing that it potentially has a more upside than than gold in the future, and that you know there's a time to maybe trade it for gold to some extent, not all of it. Never, never seems to kind of be an all-in type thing when it comes to metals, but but some of it would be great. Let's see here, Bob Monk says the BRICS creation was a Minsky moment or a way to fight this current world business cycle Ponzi scheme. Yeah, I mean to some extent, yes. Uh, but but the tough thing is, is that you know these BRICS nations. So BRICS nations, that's what Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Uh, I don't know how much South Africa still participates. I think they do, but you know, um, there's, it's, it's, it's imperfect, you know, almost like, like OPEC these days or something, you know, it's kind of imperfect. So first of all, you, you have problem with like China um, and, and, and the fact that most of their economic growth is from debt creation. Now maybe that's by, well, it certainly is by design and maybe they they have a long game that they're looking at here, whether it's, has to do with with their gold accumulation or, or something else sure but 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 the way that they're growing their economies is not all that different from western economies u.s economy european economies etc um now russia and china now russia on the other hand relatively low debt gdp at the at the national level although china does too um although they just have a ton of ton of corporate debt and and i think local government debt etc Russia has a bit of a different, I think, more sustainable model, though less dynamic model than China. Um, and then the other problem is 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 the fact that you know a country like India and China they they don't always get along the best, right? Um, it's it's tough for me to always work out exactly where this is heading because historically, India has more or less sided with with the U.S. rather than China, although you know their inclusion in the BRICS is, is significant. Uh, but, you know, I do wonder if the U.S. is slowly pushing India away. And it's not just India. I think the U.S. is pushing away a lot of our, you know, what what we in the past would consider allies. You know, I wouldn't be surprised in the next 10 years you see countries like, like okay, so what's going on right now with with Iran and, and countries choosing to, to buy oil from Iran, whether it's European countries or India or China, or Japan or whatever, you know, I think in the future that the very same thing is going to happen with China. Countries are going to realize maybe we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket, or maybe we're betting on the wrong horse, the U.S., and maybe we should improve our relations with China. And so I think over the next 10 years, you're going to see a lot of countries move more and more into the sphere of influence of, of China, or at least out of the U.S., right? Um, and, and I think those countries, I'm talking about countries that are in the past been good allies with the United States, countries like uh, Japan, South Korea, um, um, a lot of European countries, Germany, uh, France, etc., moving in, you know, closer to China. Not necessarily like a puppet of them. No, absolutely not. But that's how it's going to be probably framed by 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 you know neoconservatives and whatnot in, in Washington that they're puppets of of, of China. Well, you know what? Uh, let's see here. Let's get to the main topic here. Um, I feel like I'm, I was t- had another point to bring out, but I should probably skip it and and get to talking about silver and gold demand all right i just need to share my screen with you guys here um screen share creation window 
All right. So now you guys are looking at, so what I, what I have here is just, this is from the U.S. Mint uh, website. This is 2019 totals by month American Eagle sales. And this is, you know, that's why I put in the title. I titled it Strong-ish Silver and Gold Demand because relatively speaking, this is small sample size. And historically speaking, it's not huge amount of demand, but it's encouraging. Okay. So what, you know, the two big nut takeaways I have, from this is, is total gold sales in ounces, 61,500 for January. Thus far, you know, we have, uh, you know, it's only the 23rd today. So we have all the way through the 31st. And then silver sales, um, almost 4 million, 3,931,000 uh, American silver eagles sold thus far in 2019. Now, now the month of, of January is always strong. So that's certainly not what I'm saying that this is strong relative to, to December or, or November or anything like that of 2018. It, it's higher, but that's always the case that, that, that um, dealers have to, to stock their, their inventory with 2019, right? Uh, no different from, than car companies have to stock their inventory with new models, right? And so I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that when you compare it to last year, 2018, this is 2018 right here, you know, this is the entirety of the month of January. You had 58,500 ounces of gold. So we've already beat that. And 3,235,000 ounces of silver sold. So we've already beat that as well. So this is encouraging. Now, this is not, the tough thing about this is it's not as accurate sense of demand of the consumers. Because again, people aren't buying from the U.S. Mint. It's the dealers. There's there's so many of them. I forget exactly what, what their, their names are. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. I mean, it always says the U.S. Mint does not sell bullion directly to the public. Instead, the U.S. Mint distributes uncirculated bullion through wholesalers, brokerage companies, etc. So authorized purchasers. So that's a term I was thinking of. So maybe it's just authorized purchasers buying more, expecting more demand heading into to 2019. Um, but, you know, it's 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 encouraging to see that type. Now we'll have to see where this heads in the future. And, of course, we also have to look at, you know, where demand is for for other products um you know perth mint products they, they update that on on a fairly regular basis uh you know what type of sales are you getting from from the royal canadian mint the british royal mint the the austrian uh vienna mint or whatever it is that that mints the the philharmonic you know those, those are some of the big ones to to pay attention to there's other ones of course as well and that's just u.s government coins and you know um we also have to take into account generic stuff and, and other types of, of silver that and this is just the investment side of it too. That's the other piece of this is that we're not even broaching the topic of, of industrial demand yet. Um, let's see here. Another thing I wanted to talk about, we're going to go to Steve St. Angelo's website here. Um, he had an interesting topic that he was talking about here. Global silver production may decline more than analyst forecasts. Encourage you to check out his website and his YouTube channel if you haven't already. Steve's a, a very bright guy. And in fact, you know, I'll probably send him a link to this live stream and say, hey, Steve, shout you out in this video. You should uh, come back on soon. It's been a little while. Uh, November, maybe it was the last time he was on or something like that. Uh, so he's talking here about um, production of, of silver companies. And basically, you know, if, if we go way back to well, one of my videos that I did, this was what November or December I did, where where the Silver Institute had put up their their interim report on where they expected silver demand and silver production to be. You know they projected a surplus. Now of course a lot of people came out and said 
And I think they'll, they'll be correct a lot of people that they overestimated the amount of supply come onto the market. They overestimated the surplus and that we might actually see it closer to be a break even year uh, in terms of, of physical supply and demand balance. Um, and, and that's kind of what Steve is saying here. He's, he's basically saying that, you know what, like, when you look at this, let's see here, the top two leading silver producing countries, Mexico and Peru, they've reported declines in 2018 uh, in terms of, of production. 2.5% for Mexico, which is the largest silver producing country in the world. Uh, 5% for Peru. And I think that's number two, or it's up there at least, you know. And he goes on talking about, you know, <laughs> look at all this. I mean, this is many, many countries here that are reporting a significant decline in silver production. So when it's all said and done, when we get the world silver survey that comes out in like May or something like that of this year, you know, this is, uh, I think we'll see a very different picture from, from uh, what we saw uh, in, in the interim report, I guess in 2000, uh, November, 2018 or something like that. Let's see here. What else do we have here in the chat? Venezuela is at one to 160 silver to gold. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't even noticed that. It's so hard to, to to figure it out with their own currency. But let's say J.B. Bush, imagine the real ratio. Miners stay underground for one gold ounce, nine ounces of silver. Banks are saying 183. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about that in the past, that the one to nine is not, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an important ratio, don't get me wrong. It says a lot about silver and gold markets, but it doesn't necessarily say a whole lot about what the price should be because, or the price ratio should be because that's only the supply side of it. There's also the demand side of it. You know, you can take whatever metal we're talking about, platinum, palladium, rhodium, or, or a base metal or some other, uh, uh, you know, rare earth metal or something. You can compare it to silver and gold production. You're going to get a certain ratio, but that doesn't mean that's what the price should be. Cause there, there's the demand side of it too. Um, but you know, that, that is an important ratio to pay attention to. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Bob the monk, I think the U S shutdown may shake things up regarding precious metals. This may offend some people, but all ABTs section eight wick. Oh, EBTs maybe, or section eight wick, et cetera. Um, it should be cut unfair to taxes net payers. Um, yeah, that's the other thing people are talking about is is with those types of uh, programs, um, what the funding status of them will be in the future. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, Mateo Man is kind of pointing out what I was saying there. Um, let's see. I'm in Canada and not, I'm noticing retail stores closing lots of them. Are you guys noticing the same stuff? Yeah. And, and, you know, the stuff, the thing with retail, this is what I talk about a lot with my wife uh, is, is retail stores closing. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that it's, it's hard to discern how much of that is because of poor economic growth and how much of it is just because we're moving so much online. Okay. But, but I'll give you an example. You know, I live in the Duluth, you know, area uh, of, of Minnesota. Okay. And so in the last couple of years, we have seen, uh, let's see here, we've seen, you know, for as far as openings of, of major retailers, we saw like a Mills Fleet Farm, which made no sense to me there. Although the, I think the reason they built a store here, actually, funny story, if you guys are familiar with Mills Fleet Farm, I don't know if it's a Midwest product only or what, but, but there's a guy by the name of Stuart Mills, who I think was the son of the founder of Mills Fleet Farm. He was running for, for, uh, 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 Congress, 
House representatives in this district. And, and I wonder if they partly built that here to maybe get him some more votes, but he ended up losing. Uh, but they bought that or they, they made that. But other than that, you know, we had, let's see here, we had a Sears close. We had a Kmart, which is owned by Sears, also close in the area. We had a Yonkers close. We've, we've seen, you know, multiple smaller stores like in malls and, and strip malls and whatnot um, close. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it has some more ways to go before, even before we have a major economic slowdown. Um, eventually, it's going to get hit a point where, you know, it's consolidated enough. Right. Enough of these retailers have have closed to where, you know, the remaining demand has a smaller amount of stores to choose from. And those stores are going to, I think, benefit from it. Right. If you can hang on, if you can can outlast some of these other real t- retailers closing, then maybe you're in a better position. Now, when you're when when it's a smaller, you know, when, when it's something like the mall, a mall setting where you, where you have a ton of stores and say you have 100 stores in a mall or 50, let's say 50. OK. And you have 10 of them close. Now it's not a given when you have specialty stores. It's not a given that that all of that demand is going to go to those other stores. In fact, the overall demand at the mall is likely to decline because fewer people are going to be enticed to come in because there's fewer stores. Plus, I mean, there's a huge difference between uh, even something that you'd consider maybe a little similar, like uh, American Eagle and 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 Hollister, right? Um, there, there's doesn't mean that everybody that bought American Eagle when it closes is by Hollister. But then you have more specialty stores, uh, higher end stores, lower end, et cetera. And so it's, you know, that, that type of thing is, is I think uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the mall fares in the next recession. And I think I, I know where it's headed. And I think we're, we're going to see a lot of those types of places close. A lot of retailers in general, brick and mortar. Now there are going to be some that, Obviously, like Walmart's, uh, grocery stores, um, those types of things, I think will will do very well. I think they're going to get a lot of brick and mortar demand that will be shed from from all these other places closing. Uh, but but I think uh, a lot of of retailers like like Sears, um, like uh, J.C. Penney, like Kmart, you know, those types of stores, Toys R Us, they're they're going to fare very poorly. Let's see here. Going back to the chat here. Uh, let's see. Um, this guy right here. You guys can see my screen. I bought my first ounce just about 10 years ago, but the suppression is starting to get to me lately. Do people really think it can shake itself loose of the boot on its neck? You know, as I said earlier, I mean, talking about the upside downside for, for silver and gold. I mean, cost of production is a very real piece of it as far as how much does it cost to produce an ounce of gold ounce of silver you know that that uh that um causes a bit of a floor to kind of come into play in terms of the price for both metals uh but even beyond that i mean it's just i I get it you know 10 years ago is a long time and i think people that got into the market 10 years ago uh would have never guessed that it could go on this long but i mean you know, going into making this video, this this live stream today, you know, one of the thoughts on my mind was kind of, I am, you know, about as as, I guess, bullish or as confident in metals, and also more, you know, about as confident as as where the economy is heading, over you know, over the next couple of years, about as confident as I have ever 
been. And it's not like a, a feverish, like silver and gold, like buy now or anything like that. It's just kind of a, a, a calm, like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a, this is a good thing that I'm doing buying silver, right? This is a good, smart move because I know where the dollar is heading. I know where ultimately the economy is heading. Now we don't know exactly where the stock market is heading or where interest rates, et cetera, but we know, you know, how this story ends. We, we don't know all the details of it, right? It's like one of those, you know, classic, you know, horror movies where, where, you know, okay, like this killer is going to go out. He's going to kill these people. You don't know the exact order of it, but you know, in the end that, you know, usually X amount of people escape, or, or I guess sometimes not. I don't know what the classic horror movie would be. Some people escaping or everybody dying. But but you have a general idea of the ending. You just don't know exactly the order of it, right? You don't know exactly all the events that are going to play out between now and then. And, and yeah, I mean, that's – and even in terms of, of suppression for metals, um, you know, I I think it's going to be difficult for them to to continue with that type of market manipulation indefinitely. It's, it's, they can do it for some things like, like the stock market, even to some extent, the bond market, debt market, sure. But the physical market, I've said it so many times that, that it's, it's a, it's a whole different ball game, right? You can use paper to suppress metal or, or physical prices for so long. But, but when you have something like physical demand, a finite resource, uh, and, and, and many, many consumers needing that metal, buying that metal, it, it's not something that you can do, I guess, indefinitely. Um, let's see here. Uh, moving on here. Let's see. My my most recent silver purchase was actually last night. I actually got a roll of Austrian Philharmonics, actually, which I've never bought before. Uh, I got them on eBay from i think liberty coins so a, a reputable dealer so 20 coins and i got them for let me think here 16 it was a less than a dollar over spot like 16 15 or 16 20 an ounce which is pretty great for for philharmonics um, of course that's because i used ebay bucks that i had uh, accumulated last quarter but it turned out pretty well for me 20 ounces uh that was my latest uh purchase so let's hear in the chat what was your guys's latest uh, i guess meadows purchase um let's see here tailman very hard to make money on silver now only money made in 1980 and 2011 gold different story i mean to some extent yeah it's that's kind of the story for silver is that it relative to gold it, it moves up more it moves down more and, and but i don't think uh i did a video on this a long time ago uh, this would have been like last spring or last summer. I don't think it's me a story that silver is only going to rise every 30 years or something like that. No. Um, I think it's just that it's been more depressed as of late for, for a whole host of reasons uh, that then gold is, but, but I don't think that's always going to be the case. I don't think it's going to be the case for the next, you know, 20 years or something like that. Until man, just liked, thank you for liking this. Let's see here. Ozzy says, I assume I will only ever get melt price, so I buy accordingly, as close to spot as possible. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's it really depends on I don't know, there's so much theories on on what's the best stuff to buy. You know, um it because 
you, I totally get what you're saying. Now, now there's the argument that you could make that that you want something that's reputable, something that's recognizable, like silver eagles, like American silver eagles, maple leaves, Austrian philharmonics, etc. A government minted coin, okay, and paying somewhat of a premium on those. Um, and then there's the argument of, hey, what about semi numismatics? Why not kookaburros? Why not um, Chinese pandas? Uh, other things that that carry a fair amount of premium, maybe four, five bucks an ounce. And yet, in the past, have done pretty well in terms of that premium going up and up. You know what? What you can buy now for for uh, you know five bucks over spot very well could be sold for seven bucks over spot or ten bucks over spot a couple of years down the road. Um, now that doesn't mean that that's a sure thing by any means. Um, I think a lot of some uh, uh, people that that buy so many numismatics have that are making an assumption that because it's worked in the past, it's always means it's going to be true in the future. But you, you got to understand that, that if things get bad enough or, or if demand is high enough for silver and gold, that the premium for those might not appreciate as much as you think. Right. And, and, and they, what, you know, an SHTF scenario, or even just, you know, a, a major economic decline, uh, the next you know major recession or depression, uh, what are you going to, want in that situation in terms of, of to sell or barter or whatever it is, uh, uh, kookaburras or American silver eagles. Now you very well may be, able, may be able to sell both, but will you be able to recover that premium on the kookaburra or will it appreciate as much as you'd hoped? Um, so there's a lot of different, you know, and, and, and is there something to be said for just generic too? I think that there is, um, you know, as long as whoever's buying it has a way to, to know it's legit. Yeah. I think generic is great as well. Um, there, there are wrong ways to buy silver and gold. I think there's a wrong products to buy. There's too high of a premium, et cetera. But sometimes people get too caught up in these arguments, about what's best to buy. And, 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 you know, really, I think it does come down to the whole idea of buy what you like. You gotta be wise about it, right? Buying, buying silver eagles for four bucks over spot. Eh, that's, you know, unless you're buying some special kind, it's, or, or an old dated year or something like that, that's that's hard to justify. But, you know, when we're talking about eagles versus maple leaves, so many numismatic versus more ch- generic silver or just government-minted bullion that's that's not, doesn't carry huge numismatic value. That's, you know, that's all, you know, teach his own. Um, let's see here. Mellow Stacker says, I know it's not wise to buy into market. But what do you think about mining stock versus physical during a crash? Uh, that's a great question. Um, in fact, you know, this video I was talking about earlier with one that's saying she was talking about just that. Um, let's see here. Not a super popular chat today, by the way, which, which is fine. I'm sure many of you guys are working. Hit the 50s. We're in the high 30s now. Not a huge deal. My feelings aren't hurt. Um, let's see here. Uh, so I'll get to Mateo's comment there in a second. Uh, Mellow, so mining stock versus physical during a crash. Now, none of this should be obviously taken as investment advice, but uh, so with with stocks, there's more risk. Obviously, you you have I think two major risks that that come to mind for me. First of all, you have a, a total drying up of credit right um and and so this depends on you know how 
saturated as a given stock with that. I think, you know, in this cycle that we're heading into, I think it's best for, for mining stocks to have low debt. I think that's the case, generally speaking. But I think low debt is important for, for mining stocks. Um, and so, you know, credit drying up or, or other problems. So, for instance, a lot of well, most most companies, most mining stocks have have production, you know, in various places around the world, not just the U.S. or, or Canada, right? So you, you, there's also the risk of, of things like like uh, uh, political, I guess, risk or or societal unrest in, in Central American, South American countries, Mexico, um, and, and various other, you know, places around the world that, that where silver or gold mining is common. Uh, and so that's that's another risk that is associated with with mining stocks. Uh, and so, you know, mining stocks in general could do very well, but but if they primarily hold um, have 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 uh, mines that are in, in a place that that turns into to, you know, the next Venezuela, whether that's, you know, Peru or Mexico or something like that, you could be out of luck because that mine might get shut down, might get seized by the government, it might, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that type of risk is there. Um, the other one with with owning stocks in general is the counterparty risk, right? You don't have that with physical silver and gold in your own possession. With stocks, you do. Who really owns that stock if, if you're buying it through some sort of an online broker? I don't know how many people use broker brokers these days. Um, maybe some do that are watching this. I don't know. But but in terms of 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 you know E Trade or TD Ameritrade or Robinhood or whatever it is that you're buying these stocks through, you know, who really owns that? And and do you feel confident that you own it and that you'll be able to retain ownership of it? You know, if you really look into the nitty gritty of, the, gritty of this, you know, I think it's it's pretty questionable. It, it probably varies from from broker to broker, and it's it, it's just there's there's that counterparty risk there, right? Do you really own that stock? Um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's other market risks in, in terms of liquidity and, and, you know, stocks are risky. Um, and so I wish I could give you a great answer. And these are just things to, cons- to, to consider, you know, and of course the whole idea of a diversified portfolio is, is I think very wise when it comes to mining stocks versus just precious metals. You know, the, the upside for these stocks is huge. I think for the right ones, huge upside that well outpaces the silver and gold move up, you know, if there's, there's not some other you know, contributing factor, contributing risk. The upside is huge, but you got to, you got to figure out these risks. You got to figure out how you are going to manage that risk. Uh, and of course, physical silver and gold is a great way to hedge against that risk. But um, I guess that's my, my thoughts on that. Um, next one was, uh, let's see here from the tailman. Easier said than done. Selling costs kill profits. I volunteered at a coin shop. We buy silver just below a spot and sell at ten percent over. That makes money, but try that on your own. Yeah, it. You know, I get what you're saying, and and uh, it's it's a very real concern. Now, I think when selling, you got to be smart about it. Um, whether it's what coin shop you're going to, or or you're going to sell some other way. Um, if you're selling, I think volume high enough volume it's it's easier to to get rid of some of that but but you know what I'll, I, you're absolutely right that that spread is is a real concern with with uh silver um so you know does this mean you're you're gonna sell um on facebook 
over spot on, on a group like silver bugs, which, which is oftentimes a very good way to do it. If, if you know who to buy and sell from, uh, some some coin shops are better than others. So, for instance, you know, one of I have two local coin shops. One uh, buys below spot, sells quite a bit over spot. Different one, you know, for generic stuff, buys at spot, sells a buck over. Now that's that's a spread, but I think much much more reasonable spread over at that one. Um, are you going to buy or sell uh, to to dealers online? You know, the other thing now now this is by by no means a, a sure thing. But the other thing that, that people have talked about is, is you know, is there going to be a time where, where premiums are, are high enough to where you'll be selling at a pretty decent premium to, to a coin shop, to, to a online dealer, et cetera, because they're going to be moving inventory out of the door so quickly that, that they'll want to, you know, pay a premium to, to kind of replenish that. That's another thing to keep in mind as well. But, you know, it really does come down to, to how long you're holding on to it. Um, but, but yeah, that spread is, is a very real thing that, that should be managed somehow. You, you gotta be smart about it. You, it. I think that the dumb way to do this would be to, to have this idea that you should only buy silver, you know, buying silver and gold. That's, that's the important thing. And, and all the, the, the details about how to buy it are not important. So let's go out and buy it. Let's buy, you know, let's get fleeced, right? Let's buy these, these Eagles way too high over spot. Let's buy this generic way too high over spot um, because you just want to get silver and gold. And then when you go and sell it one day, you don't sell it a smart way. You go to your local pawn shop, you, you go to a coin shop that doesn't give you a great price. And, and so then that spread really blows out. I think you got to be smart about it, but, but you're right. You're right. That that spread is difficult to, to, to tackle for, for some silver and gold owners. Um, moving down here in the chat. Uh, what do you think about the above silver supplied human population ratio? Yeah, I did a video on this quite a while ago. Um, I wonder if I can locate it for you guys. Go to my video manager. It's one of my more popular videos. We'll just search. How much silver? Probably pop up here. Um, so I talked about that. Uh, okay. This is a several months ago. Just how rare is silver? Yeah, I talked about it right here. Uh, June 21st. So um, this is a great one to reference. And I think... You know, it's it's tough to know exactly, but I think I came to to a realization that it's probably something like an ounce in terms of identifiable silver. It could be less than an ounce, probably an ounce, maybe a silver per person, maybe more. We're talking seven billion ounces, and that's that's a lot. So, so it's it's hard to know the exact amount because it's kept in physical possession. Oftentimes, you have limited statistics from things like how much is held on the comics. Uh, SLV and other ETPs or, or um, custodian accounts. Uh, beyond that, it's hard to know. So I think I, I came up with a conclusion, maybe something like an ounce of silver per person. So so where does that put you guys? You know, pretty pretty high. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Pablo Pinas, SD Billion, I noticed yesterday, it gets good prices compared to some local coin shops if delivery fee is still below store prices. So... There's another option for you guys as well. Um, anyways, so real quick, I, I got to get going. 
Um, thank you guys for tuning into this live stream today. I know I'm just cutting off so abruptly, but I just realized I'm kind of um, running into a, a, a scheduling wall here. So I got to get going. Uh, but but thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for all your support as always. Um, and that includes those of you guys that are that are listening to this after the fact, those of you guys that are listening to this on podcast platforms. By the way, um, podcasts, if, if you guys prefer podcasts over videos, I'm on most major podcast platforms. So uh, by all means, check me out over there, whether it's iTunes, um, I think I'm on Spotify, uh, you know, Android, Google, uh, Pocket Cast. There's many other ones that I'm just, you know, not remembering off the top of my head, but but those ones are great as well. But uh, yeah, that's that's been kind of a growing audience over in the podcast world because I think a lot of my content works pretty well for that. But thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Uh, goodbye to to uh, Bjarnes, Ferdison. <laughs> I just butchered that, I'm sure. Goodbye to Mellow Stacker, 925. Um, have a great day and uh, let's see here. Let's stop sharing the screen here and I will catch you guys around. I'm sure I'll have a video out tomorrow. So thank you guys as always from the bottom of my heart and God bless.